0: Hey, everybody. Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. Uh, Today's guest, I'm not quite sure how to describe. So maybe at the end of our discussion, I'll figure out a label to put on him. But he he defies labels. He's kind of a Man of the world, a traveler, a wanderer, a philosopher, a fighter, a, you know, a teacher, all of these things. Um, but one of the m- more interesting people I've ever had the good fortune to run to. Today's show, we have Dan Zalusi. How are you? Doing great, Josh. Uh, very glad to see you. I have lived vicariously through social media over the past I would almost say a decade, give or take. I'm not sure. You asked me walking into the office, what was the last time we saw each other? And I don't think it was the last time we saw each other, but my last memory were the smoker fights at the Mm -hmm. old Tampa Muay Thai and coming and watching you in those. So can you attach a year to when
1: that would have been? Yeah. I think that would have been like 2012 or 2013. So almost 10 years ago. Yeah. So, so I left Tampa 28 or 2013. Yeah. So it's been eight years since I, since I left Tampa.
0: And I met you at Tampa Muay Thai um, and that I started I started to hop some more around 2008 and I started Tampa Muay Thai shortly thereafter for a period of two, three years. It was hot and heavy four times a day, five, not four times a day, four or five times a week (laughs) and not that much, four or five times a week at both places. And I mean, uh, you know. When you get into those sports, that just becomes – you your live world. in your world. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all you think about. When you're mm. there, it's what you're doing. When it's not there, it's what you're thinking about. Yeah. What you're viewing is usually going to be fighting or YouTube stuff. Your, your social network. Your becomes, social network, your diet, your – just mm. every waking hour. And, yeah. and I think as people kind of – go go down that path they kind of maybe find a little bit more of a balance some don't but but where they kind of work life back in but those initial Mm -hmm. four or five years it's just all you do so I was spending a lot of time with you at the gym then I remember I only knew you at at the Muay Thai gym as you know being into kickboxing and physically very gifted very athletic and I remember at that time Either we were both blues or I was a blue and you're a purple and you're like, well, why don't we roll today after after we hit pads? It's like, sure, why not? And we pulled out pads and it was it was like we're talking two different languages here. Like you were all <laughs> over me like, what the fuck is this guy doing, man? He's And I mean. From a stature perspective, I'm way bigger, but from a, physic, a physicality perspective, Dan is just – he's like Spider-Man I, or something. I think
1: there's also this difference between like at any given belt level, there's a difference between the hobbyists and the competitors, you know. Uh, well, at, you
0: any- were a Gracie guy, which mm-hmm. also the schools, would you agree, kind of have a different focus.
1: Uh, so, I haven't spent enough time at Hobson Moore, but I know that, yeah, it seems like more of kind of a family-friendly like environment where people go and take their suits off after work to get on the mat. Uh, Gracie Tampa, I think has, has become more receptive to that and more friendly to that. But at the time, it was a pretty hardcore. It was all demo.
0: killers. I yeah, remember anytime yeah. we would get a visitor from there, it's like, get ready to have someone's cup grinded into my jaw. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Just yeah. Like, it
1: wasn't gentle. Like that, that's the other thing is the jiu-jitsu style. Uh, You know, I've had people at other gyms think I'm going hard or I'm being an asshole. And like, even if I'm not putting a lot of, uh, you know, force into what I'm doing, because it's just uncomfortable, like you're getting forearms and shoulders across your face and like knees into your neck and whatever else. Uh, And and, yeah, it's just a different style. Yeah. So I want to I want to kind of go backwards and
0: and graduate to that point, because I also I I feel like through social media, there's a period of time where like me and your mom were talking or so like you have a very tight knit family or a very Mm -hmm. supportive and tight family or at least it seems so through social media is that accurate
1: yeah yeah my mom's definitely active on social media like without a doubt she was yeah. just
0: she you could tell she was very proud but so where do you come from are you from the floor from florida originally or uh
1: i, I consider florida home so uh you know to i guess speed through the the early start is like i was born in thailand you were um yeah so so this is part of the draw that M- military me or up. uh my dad worked for the for the u.s embassy okay at the time was he a spook? Um, he was, uh, <laughs> DEA. Actually. Okay, okay. DEA. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so like my first few years were there before memories or anything. Um, I had no idea, but that makes a lot of sense of your life to me now. Yeah. And I have a Thai sister. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Like, like kind of somewhat adopted sister. Uh, okay. Um, well, all and, and news so, to me. Yeah. So like it, Thai culture has been like a part of my life. Um, and, and moved to California, you know, be, uh, before I started memories. Uh, and then, um, the Netherlands when I was maybe seven years old. Oh, wow. Uh, stayed there until I was 13. And then I moved to Florida. Now, they have their own kickboxing culture over there. Was that something yeah. you're aware of at that time? No, I or? wish. I wish. So, I was so into uh, Tongsu Do in California, right? This was like my first martial art. And uh, my, you know, this was the one thing that resonated with me, like individual sports in general, but martial arts especially. Um, and, uh, when we moved to the Netherlands, like we kept trying to find martial arts places for me, uh, but there's no Google or anything, you know? So, so like, had I known that, uh, you know, it was the second best place in the world for Muay Thai, uh, I'm sure I would have, would have loved to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, never, never got. So seven to 13, how was, did, what did they speak there? Uh, Dutch, but okay. everybody speaks English.
0: Well, did you learn um, Dutch or did you? I, know? I
1: did. Yeah. Okay. And, and I can still get around in, in Dutch when I go back to visit. Um, but, uh, but a lot of people find it difficult to learn because everyone's fluent in English. So the second they, you know, hear your accent, they just respond in English.
0: So as you go from Thailand to California to the Netherlands, is that all because of your dad's work? Right. Okay. So then after the Netherlands, where do you go?
1: Uh, so after the Netherlands, my dad's work took him to DC. Uh, and my mom and I came to Florida.
0: Okay. Now
1: just the one sister or do you have more siblings? Uh, so, so the one sister, uh, yeah, with, with like neither of the same biological parent, Uh, one sister with the same mom, um, and a brother with with both of the same biological parents. Older or younger? All older. The brother, too? Yeah.
0: yeah. By how much? Significantly? Uh, Five or six years. Okay. Are you close
1: with them? Uh, Yeah, now I am. Now I am. We hated each other growing up. Right. Of course. So how long were you in D.C.? Uh, So I wasn't in D.C. Okay. Yeah. yeah. After the Netherlands, my dad went to D.C., and and my mom and I went to Florida.
0: And then was that where you were until this most recent... Well, I say most recent ten years ago, but uh,
1: no. So, so I left Florida originally at seventeen. Uh, I dropped out of high school. Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I would I, have never guessed that either. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Just didn't didn't spark any interest for you, or um. So I didn't go. Like I stopped going to high school. Maybe tenth grade. What were you um, doing other instead? Bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Just being like, a bad kid. Yeah. Really. Um. Yeah. And uh, and so. Um. I ended up going to Alabama for a while when I was 17, building houses, like working on a construction crew. Uh, I came back and, and and I knew I like I've still always wanted to make forward progress, you know. So I would like uh when I came back, I started taking classes at the community college. Uh, and I was serving tables and stuff, and and I just realized like to finish my degree was gonna take ages at the rate I was going. And uh I saw this article of like somebody who grew up in the same town in Florida I did and uh, went in the Air Force and she got her degree in, like in during her four-year enlistment. Uh, so I thought I could just sign up and then just study. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was, so, that's yeah, all it is. So that's all the military yeah, so is. I went, so I went to the recruiter's office, uh, yeah, and, and enlisted in the Air Force and uh, yeah, so I came back. So I went in the Air Force um, 2000, I, I enlisted in 2005 and I came back in 2008. Uh, okay, so Tampa. three years? Yeah. And where um, did you do your time? Was it all uh, mostly Oklahoma? Okay. Like my, my training was, was all over the states. Uh, I was stationed in Oklahoma and never left the country with the Air Force. How'd you find the Air Force? I hated it. Did you? Yeah. I hated it, but, but you know, I'm, I'm grateful to it for a lot of things. Um, for sure, obviously the GI Bill and, and what it's done for me. I've gotten two bachelor's degrees and a master's through it and still have three months left uh, for you know whatever uh, tickles my fancy, I guess. What were your bachelor's degrees? Uh, marketing and economics. And what was your master's? In business analytics. Wow, so wh- wh- what about those things interested you? Um, I, I didn't choose uh, marketing or economics to start. Uh, I chose international business and then I took an economics class. Uh, and I just loved it. Yeah. So I took like, uh, you know, the I, I was doing, I was at HCC at the time. I was still bartending and serving like when I got out of the air force. Uh, so there was a restaurant, it was a nice restaurant called grill 116. Sure. Uh, in North Tampa. Sure. And so, uh, yeah, I started serving there and they trained me up to be behind the bar as well. And that was a great schedule for, you know, training in school, uh, you know, balancing all these things. Um, and, uh, and so I was at HCC at the time. And I was taking these kind of accelerated courses where, where you would bundle, uh, like two successive full semesters courses into one and, and you just meet like for more time. Sure. Uh, so it was like intro to micro followed by intro to macro. Uh, and I just loved it. I had a great teacher, um, loved the material. And then I think toward the end of that semester, I picked up economics, and, uh, I just, that book just, you I quote know. that book all
0: the time. I'm teaching at UT right now and I was talking to them. Do you remember the chapter where it was, taking the hierarchy of McDonald's and the hierarchy of like a drug, like a a gang and was putting them over top of each other. Yeah. It was like, they almost line up completely. Mm -hmm. So I love that book. I love that stuff. Yeah. It's what year, what years would that have been when you were in school for that stuff? Uh, So I was at HCC 08 to
1: 2010. So you were right.
0: Economics was a, Super hot topic
1: in two thousand eight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a lot of examples <laughs> yeah. of of well, getting it wrong. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, the economics that I like is more like the behavioral economics and game theory and stuff, and less like following the economy. But uh, but yeah. So I fell in love with economics. It's still like my academic love, right? Uh, and then the marketing thing was just I realized I had so many Gen Ed requirements uh, because I had no direction. Like I would take classes wherever I was when I was in the Air Force. You know. Uh, and tested out a bunch like got college credits from like cleps and other testing things um, but but never really saw a guidance counselor and was like what do I need to take so I just had all these these credits and so basically uh, I was able to just get a second degree instead of like a double major so marketing was interesting but uh, and I've ended up working in marketing but uh yeah economics I think maybe has informed my marketing work more than my marketing degree did so when you left
0: I felt like you taught originally like English as a second language or something like that so so I mean, it, it, it's seeming to me, you haven't said this explicitly, but it's seeming to me like you've always known that you're going to travel. That's just going to be part of your life. Is that fair or is that?
1: uh You know, I don't know. I think um – um we all have these ideas of what life looks like, of course, based on our experiences. And my experiences included moving around and traveling as a kid, so uh, it wasn't a, as concept. far of a leap for no me. Pun in content- yeah. No pun intended. No <laughs> pun intended. Not yeah, a foreign right, concept. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't as crazy. It wasn't as much of a stretch for me as as it is for other people who make that leap. Yeah.
0: So I mean, you were pretty hot and heavy training. I, I guess you were in school at the time, but mm-hmm. but but what what set you down the path to leave again that last time did you just get a degree or how is it that you decided to go when you went that last time
1: no i uh i was always interested in it in teaching especially um because it gives you access to like smaller towns in foreign countries that you wouldn't really be able to get jobs in otherwise as a a foreigner um and uh and so it was always kind of in the back of my mind and then I had just quit an office job after I graduated. I started brokering freight, uh, which was the most miserable thing on the planet. Like, How did you find making, that job? Uh, a recruiter reached out to yeah, me on LinkedIn, okay. um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you're supposed to make like 100, 200 cold calls a day. It's just to people who are having other people like you call them all day, and it's just terrible. Well, and um,
0: you're also, although we're talking right now, you're not a a loquacious person. I would say. I mean, you're you're. I, I would imagine you're able to go full days couple of days without saying much to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So having to talk, you know, in a in a transactional yeah. manner yeah. at that volume almost kind of
1: kills your soul a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, to be on, yeah, to have to be on for like eight, 10 hours a day with all these type A personalities all around you and like whatever. It's training. It's, yeah,
0: yeah. It welcome to family law. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> this, this is the exact yeah. same thing. So that wasn't going well. And so you were looking for other opportunities? Uh, no, or? well,
1: at the time I got the, the opportunity to go full time at Gracie Tampa. Um, so teaching and then, you know, signing people up for memberships and stuff. Uh, and so I, I did that, um, and, uh, maybe like, you know, a couple months after then I tore my meniscus and, and you know, damaged some of the other stuff in my knee. Um, and so it, it didn't look like I was going to be able to do jujitsu for a while. Uh, and so I just figured it was the time to go, you know? And so did you start teaching right away in Thailand or did you, where'd you go? Yeah. So I started looking on these forums, uh, while I was still here. Uh, they have like teachingthailand.com and ajan.com and uh people just post job openings right um it's not super verifiable like some of them might not be legit i don't know so i did a skype interview uh and it seemed okay and then i just booked my ticket and showed showed up and hoped it was real and and it was uh, it was a great opportunity and and i actually went and taught math instead of english so i was teaching i was teaching math in english how Um, old were your students the equivalent of seventh eighth and ninth grade
0: okay yeah and you're just where are you living you are just living in a hostel or like a small apartment or what's
1: yeah small apartment um so so i was in like a rather small town uh that like non-thais don't know generally uh halfway between bangkok and chiang mai like uh the bottom of of what's officially north thailand um and uh And yeah, uh, basically all the apartments are the same there. Like every, every apartment is a square box. Uh, you know, was it lonely for
0: you? I mean, I imagine maybe at least at first, but I mean, tell me about like, at least I would imagine in those beginning months, you're, you're not connecting with people on kind of a, Emotional level. I mean, yeah. was th- is that something you noticed, or uh,
1: well, there were already three other foreign teachers at the school, uh, and you know, they all kind of went out of their way to make me welcome, feel welcome, or whatever. So we went out for drinks on a you know on a school night like the first week, uh, and there was a, a Thai teacher, uh, Kru Ben, who was super helpful. And you know, uh, actually, she met me at the airport in Bangkok and helped me find my way to the bus and rode the bus back up with me to Camp Pet uh, help me with all my visa stuff and everything else and finding the apartment. Uh, so there was a good support network there. Uh, and then also, you know, I, I just started dating this girl in Tampa before I moved over there and, uh, and, you know, it was kind of a, a passionate beginning, I would say. And so we, uh, we would spend a lot of time on Skype or whatever else as well. So, uh, so yeah, I didn't feel super isolated, but that, that ended up being an issue for a lot of people who moved there. So I, I helped with the selection and recruitment and stuff, uh, once I was there and, and I realized afterwards, it wasn't just like selling the position. It was also, you know, making sure that the person would be okay if they didn't have a conversation with anyone for three days, you know, sure, yeah. in a small town in Thailand, it's likely to happen. Like, you don't hang out with your coworkers every weekend, whatever else, like. Were you training um, uh, there? Was there any Thai gyms there? Or? Yeah. So I went there two weeks after my knee surgery. Oh, okay. Um, so, so not. Off the bat, sure. um, but uh, but yeah, I did it. How was that for you?
0: Then. Because you, I know you've gone through periods in your life where you do a, a ton of it, but mm. not doing it for periods of time, were you able to? Get-
1: yeah, I think I always come back more motivated after, yeah. After, yeah. after I've been out. Cause you realize, you know, it's like one of those things where you don't realize what you have until it's gone, right? And so when you have the ability to train and you have this functioning body that can do all these things and you know, it's like you get used to it and then you don't and you're like, oh shit, I should have done more with that.
0: Right, so that teaching stint, how long did that last? Uh, I ended up being
1: there like a year and eight months, something like that.
0: And then what happened? Yeah.
1: Um, and then I think I was 27 or 28. Um, I had a sponsorship opportunity, Team Quest Thailand and Chiang Mai to go live and train at the gym there. Uh, and meanwhile, I was also applying for like different grad school programs and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Like, uh, when I went to Thailand, I thought maybe, you know, I'd have some fights there, come back and open a Muay Thai gym. Um, and, uh, and I've seen so many friends struggle with gyms, you know, like even if they're, tough, their tough technique rider, yeah. is amazing, yeah. even if they're brilliant martial artists, uh, the business can be tough, especially when you don't have a lot of money to put into it, which I didn't. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I had this kind of struggle, uh, with whether to go and do this martial arts thing or, uh, you know, um, kind of start a career, uh, and, and build a financial safety net for myself and whatever else. Uh, and I was 27 and I thought, you know, I should probably have some kind of career to fall back on by the time I'm 30. Um, so I just started looking at master's programs. I knew I had, you know, enough GI Bill left to, to do something else. And, uh, yeah, so, so that's what kind of ended up pulling me away from Thailand is seeing, uh, you know, So where'd you do your master's at? at? Uh, university of Texas at Austin. So then you were in Texas for how many years? Uh, so I was in Austin for a year. It was like an accelerated, uh, program. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was only there for one year uh and then from that uh campus recruiting got me a job with capital one and i moved up to um plano which is like dallas fort worth area how was austin um austin's amazing yeah obviously didn't get to enjoy it as much as i would have liked because school was all consuming sure um but uh but but it's it's an incredible city i really love it i really love it i think if i were to live anywhere that doesn't have mountains and ocean, uh, Austin would be very high on that list.
0: Well, I always, I, I, I don't know your politics and we don't have to discuss them here, but I always, I always am, uh, interested in these little kind of pockets that find themselves in the middle of these big states of, Mm you know, a kind of a blue different dots and red yeah, blue dots and red yeah. states as it were. Uh, so I don't know if that's Austin, but I, I oh, imagine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then going up North Texas, uh, small town, but I, I guess having been in small towns in Thailand, a small town in Texas is yeah, so a Mecca.
1: Plano is not so much actually a small town like, like Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex is just enormous. And, and there's all these places that people outside Texas haven't, haven't heard of us oft- often, but uh, yeah, Plano is awesome. It has, it has a big city feel kind of, but uh, you know, without all the traffic and stuff, maybe 30, 45-minute drive to Dallas proper, depending on traffic. And uh, it's a really nice place to live, very livable. So, like, where I lived, I was half a mile from work, half a mile from, you know, dozens of bars and restaurants and yoga studios and, you know, shops and stuff. And uh, two miles from the Jiu-Jitsu gym. Uh, so, like, for daily quality of life, it was fantastic. Uh, and then, yeah, if you want any of the bigger things, shows or arts or whatever, then Dallas is an easy drive away. And were you training in Texas? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my training dropped off after Thailand for sure. Uh, so I pretty much stopped completely uh, during my master's. Uh, I trained maybe 10 times that whole year. And then when I got to to Dallas, it took me a while to get started again. Uh, you know, majority of my jujitsu had been under Rob Kahn at Gracie Tampa. Did you get your block before you left Florida? No. So before I left the first time I got my purple belt, or I was like a purple belt, three or okay. four stripe or something um like on the brink of brown belt and then when i came back uh i i spent a little bit of time in florida before going to austin i got my brown belt then uh and then i ended up getting my black belt from chris brennan up in uh in frisco okay
0: yeah. okay so so where are we now when you're in north texas what year are we talking uh
1: so i moved up there in 2016 and i left in 2019 okay and is that when you got your graduate degree uh no, gra- your yeah, master's. I mean, yeah, your ma- master's, master's degree. Master's was 2016. So so I was in Austin 2015 to 16, and and graduated. Yeah, in May. So what what was the next step after Texas? Um, after Texas, so yeah, 2019, I ended up uh, moving to Bangkok for for the next job. So I left Capital One. Um, and moved you got to- in
0: really close with the people at Capital One, if I remember. It's I mean, a great. It's every great place company. you work, you seem to kind of develop these families of you know handfuls of people that you're really
1: yeah uh yeah it's a great company um especially i mean uh, i 've only worked in auto finance at Capital One, and so I can speak to that specifically and uh i I loved it yeah. um so I think you know for one uh we want to feel good about our work right and I think Capital One has like some really defensible policies like i think one of one of the core tenets is like um Yeah, like defensibility or like transparency where somebody could take anything that's like, you know, behind the scenes and put it on the cover of New York Times and we would have nothing to hide. Sure. Um, And so like everything had to be the right thing to do. Uh, and then auto finance in itself, I think, is like one of the best products in finance in terms of uh, empowering and helping people, you know, like. Giving them can the ability it. to drive to work and yeah, go to the grocery store, yeah, go to church, go to a gym. Sure. Yeah. And, and if you fall on really hard times, it's a place to sleep, like, you know, sure. in, in really bad times.
0: So this code that you have, you kind of have a code. You kind of have a a ethos or a way that you approach the world. Where does that come from? Is that a... is that something from your family is that something you've just kind of developed on your own is that faith based where have you-
1: uh yeah I, I was religious as a kid but i don't think it is totally now you know i think um i don't know and i think it changes for sure whatever that code is i guess like, sure um uh gets updated over time um well, sure as you but, get older but yeah i don't know and then also everything's a bit selfish too like uh, you know, you go to Thailand to teach or whatever. And yeah, sure, you're helping by being a foreign teacher, but you're also able to do Muay Thai. And and I'm teaching math specifically, which is serving my future more than if I taught English. Do you really uh, think it's selfish or
0: do you I, think it's I think honest? There's a
1: selfish component uh, to everything. Like, a, a, and that's good because that's part of what gives you the motivation to do it, right? Like if it was all selfless and you're just torturing your way through whatever you think is the right thing to do, like it might be harder to keep doing or, you know, to do as well
0: it's interesting because i have i have this uh tendency to kind of paint my pursuits in a negative light and i've mm. i've at various points of my life through therapy and other things had people ask me is like you know is, is it is it selfish to do what you're meant to do is it selfish to do what you love is it selfish to do what fulfills you and what you're passionate about mm. or you know, should that be kind of what we do and how we spend our life? Is that kind of you in harmony with yourself and doing what you're meant to do and not a a selfish endeavor, but, um, Mm on, on what
1: that, is that? Sorry, sorry. I don't know if you've seen, I can't remember the name of it, but there's this Venn diagram thing that shows like what your perfect profession is, right? And it's like something you're good at, that you with enjoy, that, the the, values the, yeah. that you can get paid for. Or sure. Like that. Yeah,
0: I know what you're talking about. Well, another concept that I, I've spent a lot of time talking about, so I do family law primarily is what my profession is. So, uh, doing divorces and all this. And a, a term that gets thrown around constantly is narcissist. Mm. I always, every, every person that calls me the spouse that they're divorcing is a narcissist. And it's like, mm. we must all be narcissists yeah. <laughs> because it's just that term is thrown around so liberally. And so uh, I've had conversations. I in it's funny, I do therapy and I actually had my session right before you came in today. So, um, But I was talking to my thera- therapist about narcissism and she was saying, well, you know, narcissism is a scale. Right? It's not you're a narcissist or you're not. Right, there's right. from zero to 10, there's people that are the people we're calling narcissists are nines and tens. Mm. And then there's people who kind of are in codependent relationships, bad relationships, don't feel that they're worth anything, don't feel that they have any value. And they're right. kind of at zero. And then most of us exist. You know, two to eight. So, where we are on that scale, there's kind of a healthy narcissism and an unhealthy narcissism. And
1: yeah, and, and our narcissism as it plays out depends on context, like anything else. Oh, for too. sure.
0: And what you do with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but uh, it's just what you said there about being selfish. I, you know, I, I think it could be argued that it isn't. You know, and and putting yourself first. The only way you can help others is to help yourself, and kind of Mm. do these other things. Anyway, but I, I appreciated your metrics by which you judged Capital One because. You, you saying that you liked it, it wasn't because like they had donuts every Friday. It was because they, oh, they were do that. they, they do were that. ethical. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> don't
1: get me wrong. You got donuts too. Yeah, but. and also like uh, you know, is I don't know. Capital One does such a great job of selection and development of talent, uh, and I think I, I realized this in part when I decided to leave. Uh, and I started looking at my options and, and I might have interviewed with maybe 10 companies or something. Uh, and all but two of those were, were companies I was put in touch with from people I'd worked with at Capital One who went on to do exciting different things, you know? Uh, and yeah, I don't know. So, so it was cool to see how, you know, all these people can start here and then go out and change the world in different ways, uh, in different places. Um, and also, you know, spoke to the value of, of network and, uh, you know, all that for sure.
0: So, the, but then you go back to Thailand.
1: Mm, yeah yeah so Agoda So what was, was the goal there? What was the was the plan there? Uh yeah so Agoda was one of those ones that uh you know I got through a uh, contact at Capital One um who had gone to Agoda and uh so this is basically the Asian arm of Booking Holdings. Um so Booking Holdings has Priceline in North America, booking.com in Europe and Agoda is like the primary Asian player. Uh so it's online travel agency space. Uh I was doing pricing um, which, you know, my kind of academic love of economics really fed well into. Tell me what that is. What um, does that mean? So in travel, you have these dynamic pricing models, right? They refer to it as revenue management. Um, you have pricing models where essentially you can sell the same thing uh, 20 times and to 20 different people and charge 20 different prices. Right. Um, you know, just depending on everything.
0: So it's a vector of the characteristics of whoever the buyer is. That kind of yeah, directs with the, the prices. Is. Is, how
1: far in advance they're buying, like what exactly they're buying, what kind of device they're on, what time of day or day of week it is, what part time of the month it is, anything you can think of. Um, and uh, you know, and so there's an optimization problem for each of these and and like I guess the peak of that optimization shifts. Based on uh, not only, you know, those care things, but also what else is happening in the marketplace and what competitors.
0: And how much of that is being analyzed by humans and how much of that is being analyzed by algorithms and how, I mean, it seems to me that everything's AI now and it's just like. You plug Uh, in some
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's not quite to the level where you just give it an objective function. Here's Joe. Tell
0: me what, where he wants to fly and how much he'll pay for it. So
1: I think like, you know, machine learning is constrained in a number of ways and, uh, you know, you throw too many things at it, then you end up overfitting and, and, you know, the result isn't ideal. Uh, So, so, you know, um, like without speaking too much to like anything company specific, just I'll, I'll speak generally in terms of the industry and stuff. Um, you know, you'll have maybe a machine learning model that, that trains on some of the primary things that are gonna be present in each one, like something you'll know about uh, this transaction each time. Uh, and, uh, you know, with a limit in terms of number of variables it'll take, uh, and then you apply business rules on top of that. So this, these are things that are informed by, you know, a human's idea. And then, um, you know, sometimes if it's just a strategic imperative, then you implement it. Otherwise you can test it. Uh, and so, you know, you do A B testing and stuff like that. And, and you see, Hey, if I do this pricing strategy on this half, uh, does it end up being more profitable or less than if I do this pricing strategy on this half?
0: I love that so much. And it's something that I've spent a lot of time as this office has grown. And, I, you know, I was just having this conversation with my wife today. I was like, you know, two years ago, we had four people and now we have 14. And the the 10 people that we have now that we didn't have back then, I was doing their jobs, too. Mm. And so as you do more jobs, you're not able to do each of those jobs as well as you can do when right. you don't have as many. And so one of one of the things that I've Really got me out of a rut in family law because I was just it felt like it was killing my soul. Was the business growth and the business management side of it? And while you're a black belt in that, and I'm still a blue belt in that, I was watching uh, the the Money Ball, the, the movie that was on the Sabermetrics book, and I was talking about. Thinking about, you know, the how approaching a business like the practice of law, not as a lawyer, but as a business person. And I remember reading at one point, Robert Kiyosaki had Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he was Mm. talking about passive income using property. And I was starting to see that with these billable employees, these are all profit centers that as you aggregate numbers of these profit centers, the profit margin grows, you know, it's not a it's not a binary growth. It's a it's an escalated growth over a period of time, and so these are all things that I started to become interested in. And at the same time, and this is where I'm going with this: Are you familiar with Joseph Campbell? Uh, not ringing a bell. Right so now. he's a pretty famous author, author and and uh, he had this. I don't know if it was a theory or a book or whatever, but it's called the Hero's Journey. And one of the core concepts was that in like all of literature, go, go Shakespeare, the Bible, whatever, there's really only like four or five stories. Mm. You know, there's the hero's redemption, there's a whatever. And yeah, right. any of these other stories, if you right. boil them down to brass tacks, it's one of these five stories. I have a theory that it's the same with business, that there's probably only three, four, five business models, mm-hmm. and you can make it you know, an aggregator for flights, you can make it financing for cars, you can make it serving someone with a legal service, you can be producing a good and selling it. But I bet that if you and there's probably this book's probably already out there. But you know, I bet you could probably boil down everything to these types of models. And we were talking a moment ago about Malcolm Gladwell and how this drug syndicate and McDonald's almost had the exact same hierarchy. And I think that to my point is there's this natural kind of organization that we fall into in these different businesses. Mm -hmm. So it's seeming to me like the background and the education that you got allows you to kind of plug and play into these different, yeah. Spaces.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think every industry, every company needs data literate people who, you know, know how to make sense of, of the, the number information cruncher. we have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how to, you know, especially as you get bigger, like people who can design experiments that are going to give you accurate reads and in- properly interpret those. Uh, stuff like that. yeah.
0: So then this last, so that leaving from Texas, going to Thailand, was that your last stint in Thailand?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was, tw- I went there October 2019, had a good few months before the pandemic kicked off. Uh, How was it over there? Um, so we were watching it early on, uh, especially at a travel company uh, based in Thailand where, you know, the majority of tourists are coming from China. And, uh, you know, when it was happening in China, we were keeping an early eye on it. Um, that being said, I still remember multiple people saying, like, hey, I'm too, I'm more worried about PM 2.5 than, than COVID. Like, this thing's going to blow over. Um, but uh yeah I mean I was watching daily case count I think in in early January and
0: well with your background that's something very much that you're able to kind of look at and figure yeah. you know it's funny because this is kind of what you do for a living
1: yeah and so that's the really frustrating thing you know is then when people start talking about like oh only this many people have died we have more people dying uh, roadside accidents and stuff and it's just like uh oh, like let me explain <laughs> calculus and like well sure <laughs>
0: nonlinear like well not only that but I mean in this country which you're over there or over here, and you know everybody's. You know this is this is this is a liberal talking point to to you know sideline Trump and take him out of office. It's like, yeah, but you realize this isn't just happening in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. This is happening mm-hmm. yeah. all yeah. over the world. So yeah. what you're suggesting is this this made up disease that other countries that really kind of don't give a shit so much yeah. about what's happening here, they're dealing with too. So I don't think it's I don't think it's this
1: so, so much of the stuff was misinformed. Like I remember when when uh you know it, it was first obvious that Biden had won and then all of a sudden like the next day people are like, Oh crazy how there's no more COVID cases. Yeah. And it's like, wait, where did you see that? Like, yeah. COVID it, didn't stop like it, yeah. it's like people hear this and then it, it, you know, I don't know, fits in with with their world their narrative that they like, want to yeah, promote. Like, so, uh, d- how did that impact
0: your work life over there?
1: Um, so to start, you know, uh, kill travel. Yeah. Like, uh, worldwide. Everybody, I think everybody knows this. So it's not like, a you know, any kind of secret. Uh, it, it really heavily impacted travel. Uh, and especially in Asia, you yeah. know? And so I go to, I think it was like the star of booking holdings portfolio. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, Asia just got crushed, uh, before anywhere else in the world in terms of travel um thailand shut everything down i think in march um and you know i think different countries like there's this balance to be struck of course between protecting people's health overreacting and uh, and protecting economy and freedom of movement and things like that uh and uh some countries try to balance it some countries picked one under the other and thailand definitely picked like the protecting health end of the spectrum Um, and so, you know, I think close to 30% of Thailand's GDP was tourism and that was just, uh, cut off, you know, just cut off at the head, like immediately. And, uh, so, you know, real big economic impact on a lot of people. Um, and and it was weird. So for me personally, uh, it didn't like the only way it affected me. And I felt like, you know, kind of weird about this, like, especially, Uh, A lot of the ways I keep in touch with friends and family, of course, is social media because, you know, I'm not there in person with these people. Uh, And so it's like you almost don't want to share how your life is going because it feels like you're being an asshole. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're waving around. Yeah. yeah,
1: Everybody in Thailand, everybody's, uh, you know, so many people without employment, including at Agoda, We laid off 25 percent of the of the workforce, like uh, maybe in May or June or something. Uh, And so I'm one of the people who's left with a job. Um, you know, I am not facing like really severe lockdowns or anything cause they kept the case count really, really low. Uh, so it was just like masking and and stuff like that. Uh, I'm able to go to, we started working remotely. So I'm able to go to like these different, uh, you know, stay on beaches and beautiful islands and in the mountains and in places that, that are often, you know, full of tourists and nobody's there. And, and the, the people who run businesses are doing everything super cheap to try to, you know, get as many incremental visitors as they can. Uh, and so like, uh, you know, from, from a purely selfish perspective, like I almost benefited from it. You know? Sure. A uh, family
0: law, my, my book of clients tripled. I was worried when it was coming up, I was like, what's this going to do? I don't know what it's going to do. Yeah. And a lot of people who weren't sure whether or not they wanted to get a divorce were really sure after, you know, a couple of weeks being in the house. Oh with, yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it, it just sent everybody over the edge and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, it's kind of gallows humor, but it's it's interesting when things are not going well in people's life. That's when things are going. It's crazy well how for many lawyers. of these
1: knock on effects there are. Like you know, how many things that shifted. Like it shifted everything. But there's there's things that shifted you know in big ways that you just wouldn't think of if if that wasn't a part of you know your life. Like somebody who doesn't touch family law, I never would have thought of that.
0: Well, not only that, but I I don't even think a lot of it's probably even revealed itself. I I, mm-hmm. I could see thirty years from now historians being able to draw this. Yeah line of what happened and five years out, 10 years out, you know, these right. big black swan changes that, you know, did you, have you read that black swan book? I forget. Uh, no, no. Uh, it's n- the concept. N- you'll. N- you I have it in the office. I'll show it to you, but basically it talks about historically how these black swan events, uh, kind of are a quantum leap forward in progress. Mm. These things that happen that kind of we progress. At like a much what's f- an
1: example of one?
0: I think the internet uh, okay, would be right, one. Right. Flight, yeah, the wheel, yeah. fire. I mean, you do know. You th-
1: think, do you think uh, blockchain is going to be one?
0: I have... I I am always the product of the last person I talk to on it because <laughs> I I talk to a opponent of it and I'm convinced it's a fucking scam. And then mm-hmm. I talk to somebody who's really into it and I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I kind of I have this ebb and flow, but I have a good friend who he, uh, works in like telemed or something like that. And he works probably, he, he's a, he's a pretty high level CEO, probably makes 100, 150 year, you know, he works a lot, but he spends at least that much time, if not more time in his free time, fucking around with all this crypto stuff. And it's, you know, for most people, it's, Oh, I'm going to put you know, a thousand dollars in Ethereum and see what happens. But there's like, it's almost like a video game. And like, they have these little side weekend things where it's like they, they're, they're splitting up coins and selling them and doing all this weird shit. He's explained to me a million times and I never understand it, but he was talking to me about NFTs way before it happened. Do you remember um, Mark? He trained at Tampa movie Thai with us. He had that really nice house in South St. Pete. Yeah, where Ray, a finance guy. I he, think so. He was talking to me about blockchain back then.
1: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, and
0: he wow. was telling me about it. He's like, "Yeah, we got this new prod. Well, not blockchain, but the well, blockchain. You know, we can do business transactions in real time. There's no like mm. grace period, the, the signatures, and all this other stuff." And. I mean, I was fucking 32 and I didn't know anything about anything. I was yeah. like, oh, that sounds awesome. You know, I don't know. But
1: I actually met him serving tables at Girl 116 before I met him at uh, Tampa at Muay Thai.
0: He's a he's a talker. I mean, yeah. you you get to know way more about him than he knows about you after uh, the first <laughs> hour. But yeah. I, I like him. I like him fine. But anyway, getting back to your question, because it's an interesting one and I'm interested in your opinion on it as well. I think conceptually, the speed with which we're able to execute contracts and verify the legitimacy of something. Mm. I think that very much the, so the blockchain component decentralization of information, Mm. I think very much that will be that Um, as far as completely changing over to this other form of currency, I feel like governments and banks have way too much money to lose to let go of those reins easily. Uh, But this guy that I was telling you about, he was telling me that the hedge fund people are now, selling it or promoting it or putting money into it. And he said once as soon as those people are putting money behind it, it you can it's got its legitimacy that it needs to kind of have longevity. But I don't know. What's your opinion on it? I'd be interested in uh, it.
1: Yeah, I don't have super strong opinions. You know, I don't think it's going like uh, specifically cryptocurrency, I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh I've heard this isn't like an original concept, but I've heard like uh the idea that um, it's not about whether or not this stuff is going to stay, whether or not like Bitcoin is the future. It's about whether Bitcoin or Ethereum, whether that's MySpace or Facebook, you know, yeah. it's like social media is not going anywhere. Uh, cryptocurrency is not going anywhere. It's just about which cryptocurrency is going to be the dominant ones. Um, and, you know, I think that's true. Uh, I think blockchain has a lot more applications outside cryptocurrency as well. Um. Yeah. So, like, I've I've like kind of thought of different ones in my own life and work and stuff like that. And and I'm sure there's so many more. And and so, yeah, I think it's kind of a revolutionary concept for sure. Um. But uh, you know, uh, in terms of specifics, I don't have super super strong beliefs about it. Yeah.
0: Where I find it interesting is is I, I consider myself somewhat of an artist, or at least a very much a fan of art. So whether it be music or visual art or all these other things, the what it means for that, like. You know, he was telling me how Tops was market testing garbage-pale kids NFTs because the, the, that was going to be their pass-through to doing it with baseball cards. Like, mm. you know, it, it it just makes too much sense for baseball cards or comic books. I mean, it seems tailor-made for that. You can own the original, and yeah. and it, it's just so from an art perspective, how we how we receive art, how we transfer art, what art is like. There's this uh while you're away, I don't remember if it's happening that much when you're here, but there's this really big street art movement, especially in St. Pete with Sebastian Coolidge and Bass Kamatowski and all these, like these huge restaurants and businesses that are like financed a big, not just one-off mom and pop are paying these guys. Tens of thousands the Batali brothers are all over the place in Tampa doing these murals and they're all doing these NFTs now. And so Sebastian Coolidge is one of the artists. I see him on Facebook and he's got this like Daisy with sunglasses that just kind of does like oscillates back and forth. It's like, he's probably going to make a hundred grand off of that. I mean, literally, (laughs) it's like something my kid could, I I feel like create on a phone app. Yeah.
1: So I'm just really curious to see how this plays out during the next recession, right? Like, well, it's the tulips
0: or what's, what's the, the thing that, you know what I'm talking about? The 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 bubble. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I do think it's different than that because it's not perishable, right? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, it is, it is different than tulips, but, uh, but at the same time, like, Nobody really knows what the distribution is of these things across, like, how many people and and people at what income levels and stuff like that. Like, uh, I saw something recently that I think 80% of billionaires have, you know, invested in crypto. But what does that mean? Like, how much of their portfolio and how much of crypto? Uh And I was at a wedding the other weekend with, uh it was up in Pasco, Hernando or something, you know. And a I lot saw your place. pictures. Yeah, just normal people who like servers, bartenders, like uh, EMTs and stuff. And these guys are all into crypto. Uh And so, you think, like, people who, you know, who like, don't have as much of a cushion as a billionaire, right? Next recession hits. And it's like, uh, you know, when when you have to choose between this and paying your bills, like, you know, you're going to cash out what you can cash out. And so, yeah, I'm just really curious to see how these things survive and how they come out of the next recession. For sure. I Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's
0: just, it's interesting to me. I, I wish I was smarter to be able to kind of follow it 10 steps ahead. And, but it's funny, because you know, I, I don't, I don't consider myself to be much of a conspiracy minded person. Uh, but I've, you know, I was driving an Uber the other day and the driver was talking to me about solar flares or something. And I guess recently yeah. there was something to do with solar flares and mm-hmm. he was, he, he was speaking very believably about, you know, that's the, that's going to be it. That's the next apocalypse. You know, one of these things knocks everything out. We don't have air conditioning, refrigeration. I mean, he was going through with me and I was like, well, that sounds all fucking horrible, but I have, it's not even anything that I've ever, ever thought of before. And then I had this client the other day who he, uh, he got in a fight with his neighbor and he was getting out of his house and they had each other's property and we're spending all this time. He's like, he's got my silver. I was like, what do you mean he's got your silver? Like, he's got your silver? He's like, no, he's got my silver. And I said, what do you mean silver? He's like, I collect like hunks of silver. I was like, Uh what the fuck do you do with silver? He's like, well, I don't know what's going to be currency if there's an apocalypse or whatever else. He's like, that could be valuable. And so, this guy's collecting big old fucking blocks of silver and with the zombie apocalypse to trade for food or whatever else. And it's like... I've just,
1: I've just concluded that I'm going to die probably during, <laughs> during week one. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to. I mean, if you live in a city, like your odds aren't very good. Uh, our, ours are better than people in New York City because it's not freezing here and we're next to the Everglades that have a lot of food, but you are you're also food, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, if you live in a big city and you're not like a super country boy who knows how to live off the land, like uh, odds aren't, odds aren't in your favor. You're fucked. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um. I, now, I a week or two ago, when I saw that you were getting ready to leave, you were showing this kind of panoramic view of where you were living. Mm. And it was incredible. It was like a thing out of James Bond or Mission Impossible or oh, something. Oh, yeah.
1: My apartment in Bangkok. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was – oh, man. My last couple months in Thailand, I stayed at some really amazing places. So, there's one I, I thought you were talking about at first. I spent a couple of months down in the islands before leaving. Which uh, islands? Uh, Samui mostly. Okay. Um, and which isn't necessarily my favorite island, but, uh, I wanted to do a lot of martial arts, uh, a lot of Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. Um, and, and maybe I'll touch on why, but, uh, but I was staying at a place there, uh, where, yeah, it was just unbelievable. And it was like the most expensive rent I paid in Thailand ever, which was like 1200 or 1300 bucks a month or something. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a private pool and, uh, just like unbelievable view of the bay, uh, from up in the mountains. Like it was just, it was incredible. Um, uh but yeah the video you were talking about uh was my condo in Bangkok okay. and yeah this is heart of the central business district um and uh the, the amenities were just out of control like at this place but but one of my favorites was the the pool that I showed and this is on 40 I want to say second or four, 44th floor uh and it wraps all the way around the edge like a donut and so you can swim around and have like 360 degree view of of downtown Bangkok And it was unbelievable, uh, nicest place I've ever lived. And I only really got to enjoy it for like two or three months out of the year that I had the lease. Cause, uh, uh, even, even with that, you don't want to spend all your time in Bangkok when the city's closed and there's lockdowns and you can't really leave your place and stuff. Right. So why, why was it that your time there ended this last time? Um, it's tough to pin it on any one thing, you know, I think, uh, like for sure, a big piece is the fact that the sacrifice of, of living on the opposite side of the world, you know, which is lost time with loved ones, with family and friends. Uh, and, and that point was really driven home to me. So I went, I, I came back here in June to July, uh, to get vaccinated. And because we weren't, uh, you know, weren't, uh, working at the office and see family and stuff like that um and uh and so that point was really driven home like how much you know i missed like being around people i you know have these long term connections with uh bangkok's a very transient city and i became close to a lot of people there but uh you know there's a certain level of depth of connection that's only forged after like many years together right um so so that's one of them but i think any job uh the attractiveness of any job is a trade off of of all these things right it's like your ability to connect with friends and family uh it, like how Engaging you find the work, whether it's interesting and challenging, whether it's meaningful, uh, the culture of like the people you work with and for, uh, you know, the the actual like hours and your ability to enjoy things outside of work, uh, of course, pay um, and, uh, you know, so many other things. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just found that the trade off wasn't, um, enough to keep me there at the time. Yeah. So
0: do you feel, and not to get too personal, but do you feel the, uh, the pull for family life or anything like that? Is that a something Um, that you revisit? your position on, or have you just kind of drawn a line in the sand and said, this is what it's going to be? No, or?
1: no. Yeah. It is something I revisit my position on, but, but I've been uh fairly steady and growingly confident. I think over the last few years that I'd like to adopt uh, maybe in like five years or something. Oh, wow. Uh, and I like to adopt an older kid who like likely wouldn't get adopted otherwise. Um, but, uh but yeah, I think, uh you know, if family was a large part. And then also part of the, part of the appeal of moving to Thailand was like, Being able to do a lot of muay thai and and i was just working so much that i wasn't able to like uh you know uh priceline was 12 hour time difference booking.com was six hour time difference and you know you're working with these people uh as well and so it was just like you're never off and i think asian work culture also they just work really hard they work long hours right uh and so yeah it was just like didn't really have time for much else and and you know you're deprived of time with family and friends uh, being on the other side of the world. And so, uh, yeah, just like the, the whole package, the whole thing, just like, uh, it wasn't a set of trade-offs that I wanted to keep making indefinitely.
0: So you mentioned just a moment ago that you st- were getting to where you were wanting to train a lot again, or that mm-hmm. was something that you were going after. Is that, is that directed at something? Or uh, is that no,
1: just- no, it was last, last of my time in Thailand. <laughs> so my next thing, uh, what I'm going to next, uh, which, you know, I kind of had a good idea, uh, before i you know before i put in my notice at my last job uh, but i think you know i i didn't get the actual written offer until like the day i put in oh, really? <laughs> put in notice um but uh, but my next thing i'm i'm going to move to kenya in january oh my god um yeah so uh, you didn't know that no uh, yeah so i'm moving to kenya in january um and uh you know really excited about it it's it's you know checks the boxes for all the things i talked about in terms of meaningful work and and everything else uh obviously still far from family not quite as far um and you know I'll be able to see them a lot more cuz I get a ton more vacation time they pay for a trip home once a year things like that my mom wants to come do a photo safari uh but uh So but, what's the company what is the work is it uh, So it's Watu Credit it's okay. um uh asset financing I guess okay. you could say microfinance right now Um, and primarily, uh, they're doing financing motorcycles for motorbike taxi drivers. Okay. Um, so like, I think, uh, the traditional model for these people was to know somebody who owned a motorcycle, uh, and rent it daily and, you know, give them $3 or $5 or something and try to earn more than that by giving people rides. Uh, and there was no real path to ownership or anything. Uh, and so... Uh, they came in and, and basically gave access to credit and a path to ownership where people can own their bike after a year, year and a half, depending on the loan term. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think it's really helping people out, uh, you know, giving people more mobility and stuff like that. There's a ton more motorbike taxi drivers on the roads in Kenya now because of this company. And so that, you know, increases everybody else's mobility too. Uh, so, so I feel good about the work. I, I went and saw the company for four days in July and man, he was is- there. Yeah. Was yeah. it your first time in Africa? Um, first time in this part of Africa. Okay. I've been, been in Morocco for like a week or week and a half, but I okay. think it's a completely different experience. Uh, so I, they're in Mombasa. It's the second oldest or second biggest city in Kenya. It's the oldest port town in East Africa. Um, and a really beautiful place. Um, and so I went and spent, spent, uh, four days at the office there. And, uh, I just saw so many things where I was like, this is a good company. Like I think finance, financial services can be predatory or they can, you know, um, be uh what do you call it like empowering right sure and uh and i think this definitely falls in the ladder so they have so many good policies that they don't need to have like for example uh if a rider dies then they forgive the loan and and uh ride over the bike to the next of kin like all these things that you don't have to do that you just don't hear a finance companies doing sure like it's just ethical you know ethical finance um and so i feel good about the work uh and uh yeah but but the reason i wanted to train more to answer your question is there's not as good of Jiu Jitsu or Muay Thai, there, right? And then where there is Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai, uh, I like it's where not this is going. I like either. where this is going. So, uh, so I just realized it's like the end of my time, you know, like of being able to, uh, c- like perform at the level that I am, I think. Uh, so there's this been this era since I like started, uh, effective martial arts when huh. I was like 19 or 20 um, in the air force and and miserable. And this was the one sure. thing like, you know, uh, so this thing. is a closing of a chapter for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. I, thought you, gonna me, I thought you were going to tell me, I thought you
0: were going to tell me you were going to bring Muay Thai and kickboxing uh, no, to I mean, Kenya. I, I,
1: will, I will to the extent yeah. that I can, Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll help out with the, there's already people doing great things there. Okay. Uh, so, you know, there's this Lionheart MMA initiative. Uh, if anybody's interested, you know, just Google Lionheart, uh, MMA initiative and it's, uh, providing free training to people across Africa. And, I love that. and there's a center in Mombasa, Kenya, I uh, went and trained jujitsu with them. Uh, there's another guy I found on Facebook uh, who has a Muay Thai gym in Nairobi. And uh, he's just, you know, offering free training to all the kids, anybody who wants to learn. Uh, and so there's already people doing great things. Um, and so, you know, I'll do what I can to help them. But uh, but but there are people doing really good things with martial arts there. But but for me, like uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, my for the past uh 14 years, I've just been getting better and better at martial arts uh, in terms of both skill and, and actual ability. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, this is kind of the end of that. Like, uh, you know, I'll never, I won't be training as much or with as, you know, high level people as I have been. And if, and when the day comes that I'm able to, again, I'm going to be doing so with like an older body that's less capable. Uh, and so, yeah, so this is part of like, what's bittersweet about it, I guess is, uh, Yeah, it's kind of the end of of that era for me, you know, of like feeling like I'm a killer. You know,
0: Yeah, but there's, I mean, there's life after. I mean, you look at Hickson and some of these other people who have figured out different ways to, uh, you know, continue their education or continue Mm. their improvement. Whether it was him with, you know, dynamic movement or Wim Hof breathing or whatever these things are that he kind of. You know, so I'll, and, I'm interested to see what you come back with. And,
1: and Hickson's one of these guys, too, who like, uh, did his thing and then chose to leave, right? And, and I think this is one of the lessons we learned through martial arts that, uh, you know, it's like, this is something I learned from martial arts that's kind of taking me away from martial arts, right? Is like learning to give up on the position you have. When it's time to transition and if you try to hold on to that until it's ripped away from you then you're gonna be in a much worse position for the next thing right sure uh, so yeah it's just it's you know it's time but of course it's still sad you know well i'm I'm
0: sad and excited and everything else at the same time so what are you doing for the rest of the year?
1: Uh, so I'm here in Tampa until next week next okay. week's Thanksgiving week uh, gonna go spend time spend that week with my family I'm flying my sister in from California okay. uh, my Thai sister. And we haven't all been together, uh, with my brother and my parents and stuff in, uh, I don't know, ages. That'll be awesome. Uh, you know, and so I, I'm really looking forward to that. Do you have any nieces or nephews? Uh, so many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do they <laughs> so think many. of you? Do they think you're like a superhero uh, or? Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of nieces and nephews and yeah. so probably varying opinions of yeah. me. Uh, I don't know. Um, so, so weekend, uh, weekend after Thanksgiving, I'll leave Florida and, uh, start a road trip and, and visit friends in different cities in the U.S. Uh, so I'm going to start going along the bottom. Uh, I think my first plan tonight is with a buddy from the air force in Mississippi is going to take me ocean fishing. So that should be nice. Uh, spend a few nights in Austin, a few nights in Dallas, and then a couple nights in Albuquerque. Um, you're
0: going to get one of these sweet Mac, mac out vans with all the,
1: no, uh, I wish, uh, yeah. I wish, no, I'm taking yeah. my sedan. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, no, that would be cool. That would be really cool. But, uh, and where, where, where does the road trip stop? Uh, back in Florida. So so you're going to um, kind of do a yeah, big loop around, make a loop, go up through Colorado, visit friends there and then over to Chicago, spend Christmas in Cincinnati, uh, and then visit friends in Atlanta, I think before, you know, on my way back down here and then Kenya in January. Yeah. Kenya in January, first week. Wow. And you already have your place set up and all that stuff. No. Okay. Um, so I'll spend, I think first three months in Mombasa. Okay. Uh, learning the business. And, uh, then I'll be moving to Nairobi. And, uh, reason being it's a, it's a better travel hub for the rest of Africa. Um, so I'm going to be traveling like 50 to 70% of the time. And, and the idea is basically to learn the business inside out, uh, as it exists in Kenya, um, where it's already really successful and then figure out how to replicate that. Um so part of it is just change management and actually like uh you know implementing something new and and stuff and then the other part is uh process you know improvement and optimization and like figuring out uh what needs to change based on the regulatory or economic landscape or whatever else.
0: And what about language over there are you going to you going to be able to get by with English or are you going to have to work on that a little bit or
1: Yeah to start at least um so first few countries I'm going to be in are obviously Kenya uh and then Uganda and Tanzania. Uh, And pretty much everybody speaks English there. Right. So like Swahili would be nice to know. Um, But uh, but but you can get around with English for sure. And especially in the office. Um, But, uh, you know, everything goes as planned. And if everything keeps going well, then, you know, we'll be entering some French speaking countries and stuff, too. Uh, So at that point, who knows? Yeah, maybe it might be might be time to start picking up French. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for reaching out. I mean, I'm, I'm honored that I was a stop on your tour of Tampa because, you know, we knew each other in the gym, but not really outside of the gym, but I've always kept track of you on Facebook and appreciated kind of your, your life being kind of a, a, a polar opposite of my own in in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So I get to, uh, appreciate all of your adventures and, uh, Anyway, well, thank you so much for stopping by. Are you training tonight or? Uh,
1: no, I went to Gracie Tampa South during the day today, but uh, yeah, no, not training tonight. But but I would love to get a session in with you while I'm here. I
0: and would love love to get a session in with you. I was going to give you an offer, and you please say no. I mean, it's last minute and it's kind of weird, but tonight is my last class teaching at UT. Oh, really? Um, I, there are exams the week after Thanksgiving, so I have a speaker at six. Mm. But if you're at all interested to teach a college class and come by and just talk about the life that you've letter, If that's at all something What's that the would subject? interest you, what do you teach? it's criminal law and procedure. But y- you talking to them wouldn't be about that. It would be showing them that there's a different path than yeah. going to be a teller at a bank. You don't.
1: Yeah. Have well, to, 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 to that point, to that point, I I, I want to say also because you were you know talking about uh, us training together before and and you enjoying seeing a different path and stuff, I want to say like uh, part of I think where my life has ended up, I credit I credit to you and uh, some of the other like older guys in the gym. I saw a few of them last night at Gracie Tampa uh, HQ. Really tugged on my heartstrings. Uh, so this guy Wally Lum, who I think you would love. I really, I don't know if you've met him, but I think no, the, I think you and this guy would get along so well. Uh, and then Badger, both of these guys are mid sixties uh, and still in the gym all the time. Uh, and uh, and Jeff, uh, who was Ray Cole's first, I think Muay Thai coach, and uh, and who you know was maybe my first Muay Thai coach when I came to Gracie Tampa as well. Um, and I think, you know, as I mentioned, I was a high school dropout uh, and I was taking community college classes. So I was like kind of doing the things that I knew would move me forward in some way. But, uh, you know, there's an end of that road of your education where you don't really know where to go or how things are going to play out. And I think, you know, being in jujitsu and Muay Thai and being able to see these different possible life trajectories and stuff, and like these guys who you can relate to in some way, you know, because you have this shared interest, this shared activity. And so they don't seem so much different than you, and you can see how their lives end up and the the ways they've been able to make it, uh, you know, is really empowering, like awesome, awesome experience and privilege to have. So I, I thank you very much. Oh, well, for that's influence. sweet
0: yeah. of you to say. I probably overstated the case, but I appreciate that. And I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm excited to see what comes of your life with the next five years, ten years, hold because uh, you know I wouldn't have guessed Kenya, I wouldn't have guessed Thailand, I wouldn't have guessed the Netherlands. So you're mm. you're you're you know what's the I came upon a fork in the road and I chose the one less traveled. I mm. you've you've chosen the less traveled road time and time again, but it seems to have you know benefited you. So I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Josh. All right.